0: sun is down and the stars are out. Everyone turn up your volume and turn down your lights. The Twilight Beacon begins transmitting now. <music> Jedediah D. Blackwell here, coming to you from the Twilight Beacon here in the American Southwest. Tonight, we present two episodes from the Golden Age of Radio, featuring stories of fantastic adventures in history. Our first vintage radio episode comes from the program Suspense. This story is based on an actual disaster from American history, the wreck of the old 97. In 1903, the train known as the Fast Mail, pulled by engine number 97, derailed near Danville, Virginia, and plummeted into a deep ravine. 11 crewmen were killed and 7 more injured in the disaster, which inspired a commemorative folk ballad. The song, named The Wreck of the Old 97, has been performed by many legendary musicians since, including Johnny Cash, the Statler Brothers, and Roy Acuff. It is held up alongside the ballad of Casey Jones as one of the most loved railroad songs of all time. And now we present The Wreck of the Old 97, as heard on suspense in March of 1952.
1: Autolite and its 96,000 dealers bring you Mr. Frank Lovejoy... ...in tonight's presentation of... Suspense. Tonight, you will take a trip on a train. A journey exact in time and place... ...during which Autolite will recreate an historical puzzle by dramatizing with story and song The Wreck of the Old 97. Tonight's star, Mr. Frank Lovejoy. And now, with The Wreck of the Old 97 and the performance of Mr. Frank Lovejoy, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. Suspense.
2: track ahead. The snow was real heavy that night. Visibility less than zero, if that's possible. Not snowing as hot as now, but nearly. No warning, Mike. Nothing. People sleeping, eating, drinking, just talking like we're doing, and bam, all over. Finished. Terrible wreck. Snowing this bad, huh? Yeah, but then, of course, they didn't have signal systems like we have, or safety measures like we have. Did they, Joe? No, I don't believe
3: so. Of course, the worst wreck I ever heard of was told me by my dad when I was a kid. The fast mail was a train. The Southern Railway, the line, you know, same as we're on now. You probably heard about it. The wreck of the All-97. Uh Casey Jones was the engineer on that, wasn't he? No, no. Casey Jones had the cannonball. Oh. Joseph A. Brody had the All 97. Matter of fact, that was named for him. Funny thing. What? No, it's nothing. What? We weren't related to the Joe Brody I'm talking about. We just happened to have the same name. Hey, where are we? Well, it's almost 6.30. We're coming into Monroe. Fifteen-minute stop over to change crews. Then Lynchburg and Danville arrived at Danville at 8.25. All 97, never made it. What did you start to say before? Funny thing what? Oh, yeah. A story my dad used to tell about the 97. Carried a crew of three, was wrecked, as you know. They found five bodies in the wreckage. What? Yeah, found two more bodies in the wreck than was supposed to be on the train. Well, how'd that happen? A funny story. Strange, I mean. Yeah? Well, tell us. Okay. I told you I was named for the engineer on the All 97, didn't I, Joe mm-hmm. Brody? Well, this is where he picked up the train, right here in Monroe, Virginia. Although it used to go all the way to Spencer. The train started further north from Washington Station. The day I'm talking about was a Sunday, September 27th, 1903.
4: And here's what On happened. On a cold, frosty morning in the month of September When the clouds were hanging low Ninety-seven pulled out from the Washington station Like an arrow shot from a bow.
3: Morning, Joe. Morning, Mr. Elkins. Yeah, seems we got a little trouble up the line. What's the matter? She ain't running on time. How late is she? 40 minutes at Rapidan. Well, that's bad. Joe, it's terrible. Old 97's never run a minute late since she went into service. Don't you worry, Mr. Elkins. She won't be late on our division. I'll get into Danville on time. <laughs> That's the kind of man he was, the Joe Brody I was named for. He was a proud man and the best engineer on the line. And he loved old 97. It was Joe who would driven her down from the World's Fair at Chicago when she was on exhibit as the newest, most powerful engine in the world. And it was Joe who would driven her over the Blue Ridge mountains from Monroe to Danville ever since. The old 97 was Joe's baby. And in Danville that morning, his wife was expecting a real baby. A better-than-usual reason for getting to Danville that day. There was another man on that train who wanted real bad to get to Danville on time. Big Tom Jeter, the fireman.
5: Morning, Mr. Brody. Morning, Mr. Elkins.
3: Morning, Tom. Morning, Tom.
5: I hear she's late.
3: Forty minutes at Rapidan.
5: Today, my mammy and pap has been married 50 years. Their golden anniversary. I figured to get in on time today. We will, Tom. Whole family's gonna meet me at the station. Big greeting for the youngest
1: child. Fireman for Mr. Brody.
3: We'll get there in time if you keep that fire going this morning.
2: I will, Mr. Brody. Oh, here, Joe. I'll get your orders
4: ready. They gave him his orders. At Monroe, Virginia, saying, Joe, you're way behind time. This is not 38, but it's old 97. You must put her in Danville on time.
3: So there they were, the engineer and the fireman, each one with a special reason for wanting to get to Danville on time. And there was the third member of the crew, old mr clovis the clerk in the mail car he had his reason too oh morning mr clovis morning mr elkins morning joe morning mr clovis how's she running late late huh
6: too bad she had to be late especially today,
2: mr clovis
3: oh say i'd forgotten you were retiring today aren't you sir yes this is my last run well i'll try to make up the time for you mr clovis can't end 30 years of railroading behind schedule.
6: Uh, I don't care so much myself, but I believe some of the gentlemen from the division office were going to meet the train in Danville. I believe there was to be a ceremony. <laughs> I know dang well there is. They're going to give you the prettiest gold hunting case
3: watch in the Blue Ridge Mountains, all engraved. I saw it myself last week. Well, that's very nice, but quite unnecessary. How's it feel to retire, Mr. Clovis? It feels
6: fine, Joe. I'll step down to the platform, and from that moment, I'll have nothing to do but die. Well, you can live, can't you, Mr. Clovis? Then for what? This is my life. What time is it?
7: Hey, Mr. Harkins, did you hear the news? Oh, what news? Hey, them two fellows are head up in the jailhouse, them two held up the bank over in Amherst and killed the teller. What about them? They broke out. When? Less than an hour ago. They split the turnkey, skull open, walked out of the jailhouse big as you please. The sheriff's getting a posse together. Oh, what for? The figures are headed for the hills. Go and track them down with the hounds.
3: If they're headed for the hills, they're crazy. Why, Mr. Brody? Well, if I was trying to make a break for it, I wouldn't take any chances being tracked by bloodhounds. What would you do, Joe? I'd head for the railway, hop the first train it came through. Now, across the tracks from the station agent's office and right near the water tower was a tool shack. And at that very moment we were talking about these two killers were hiding there. Or at least that's the way I was told the story.
2: What are we going to do, Clint? We're in Monroe, Virginia. A town with five churches, 15 saloons, and a jailhouse. What are we going to do? You think a posse couldn't track us down if we took to the hills? We ain't going to take to the hills, honey boy. We're going to take the old 97 right straight to Danville. At Danville, we got a man waiting for us. Put guns in our hands and tell us where to use them. Honey boy, when we get on that old 97, we don't have a worry about a thing. Clint, you suppose you hit that turnkey too hard? I hit him hard enough to knock him out. You suppose you hit him hard enough to kill him? What's the difference? We killed a man yesterday. We might as well kill another one today. We didn't kill that teller, Clint. You did. Listen, honey boy. Makes no difference who pulled the trigger. Understand me? No difference. Sure, Clint, sure. Here she comes. Come on, let's get out of here and wait for her. They'll see us, Clint. Nobody's going to see us. They're all watching the train. Here
3: she comes. Come on, Mr. Clovis, let's get out there and find out why Pete's so late. All right, Joe. See you Tuesday, Mr. Elkins. All right, Joe, have a good trip. Pretty, isn't she?
6: Beautiful. Beautiful.
3: Look at Big Tom. He's in more of uh, a hurry than I am, if that's possible. To get
6: to the and be presented with a gold watch. What? Uh, here comes Pete.
3: Oh, yeah. Hey, Pete. Hi, Joe. Mr. Clovis. Hello, Pete. What's the delay? Washout south of Rapidan. And a section gang made up completely of numbskulls. Wouldn't let you through? No. Section boss was afraid the ballast wouldn't hold. Why, he'd had six hours to repair the track before we come along. Dang fool. (laughs) They come that way sometimes.
6: Sorry to hand her over to
3: you like this, Joe. Don't see how you can make up the time. I'll do my best, Pete, and still keep her on the rails. Joe! Hey, Joe! Yeah, Mr. Alkins? Message for you from the station master at Danville. Yeah. Excuse me, Pete. What's it say, Mr. Alkins? Uh, It says...
6: uh, Tell Joe Brody he'd better get 97 into Danville ahead of schedule if he wants to be here to meet the stork who is coming in on time. Dr. Glenn
3: Denning is on his way out to Mrs. Brody now.
6: Well, congratulations,
3: Joe. See, it's happening and I'm not there. I promised Lila no matter what I'd be there. Well, you can't help it, Joe. Anyway, sometimes these things take more time than you'd think. You'll probably get there on time. Not probably, Mr. Elkins. I will get there on time. Come on, Mr. Clovis, let's roll. All righty, Joe. You set, Big Tom? Set, Mr. Brody. Come on in, let's go. All right, Joe.
2: Got the time?
3: Yeah, 11.45. Uh, We're an hour late. Excuse me.
2: Come on, let's go. Wait, let her get started. No one's paying attention to us. <laughs> There she goes. Come on, Clint. Come on, come on! Give me a hand. There. Grab the rung. Got it? Got it.
4: round. And he said to his fireman, just shovel in a little more coal. And when we cross that wide oak mountain, you can watch old 97.
1: Autolite is bringing you Mr. Frank Lovejoy in The Wreck of the Old 97. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills,
8: Suspense.
1: And now, Auto Light brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Frank Lovejoy in Elliot Lewis's production of The Wreck of the Old 97, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense.
4: orders at Monroe, Virginia, saying, Joe, you're way behind time. This is not 38, but old 97, you must put her in Danville on time.
3: Well, there they were. Five men on old 97 when she pulled out of Monroe. The engineer and the fireman and the mail car clerk who were supposed to be there, and the two escaped killers who didn't appear on the manifest, And each and every one of them with an urgent need to make up that lost time. Pour on the coal, big Tom. Pour it on. I'm shoveling as fast as I can, Mr. Brody. Give me all you got until we cross White Oak Mountain. And you can stand back and watch 97 roll. I'm giving it to you, Mr. Brody. 166 miles from Monroe to Spencer, partway upgrade, and then from Lynchburg down a 3% grade, ending with a curve and a sign—a big sign that said, "Slow speed trestle." Right ahead of that, the Stillhouse Trestle over Cherry Stone Creek. The run from Monroe to Spencer normally took four hours and 15 minutes, or 10. And that day they had to pick up an hour, and that's a lot of time to catch
4: up on. Joe Brody turned to his old fireman Said shovel on more coal For when we hit that old white mountain You can see old 97 road
3: Boys, shovel it in. We got time to make up on this one.
5: You sure gobbles that cold, Mr. brody
3: We picked up ten minutes, Tom. We can't get there too soon to suit me. The party you were telling me about?
7: For mammy and papa's 15th wedding day. Together, my congratulations. Thank you, Mr. brody But they'll all be down at the station. You can tell
3: them yourself. I won't have time, Tom. I'm having a baby. Huh? Well, my wife is. Well, congratulations to you, Mr. Brody. Thanks, Tom. All around there, boy. The gauge is dropping.
5: Yes, Mr. Brody.
8: Yes, sir.
7: Clint.
2: Yeah? This train ain't going very fast. He's climbing, honey boy. Wait till we get over the mountain. You'll see her go. I don't like it. I don't think we ought to hop this train. You don't like it? Just step off any time you like to, honey boy. Clint! Shut up! Get off or shut up!
6: Joe Brody will get me into Danville in time for the exercises. Yeah. Thirty years today, it's a long time. Almost all of the time there is. And after the night, when the gentlemen say the kind things and smile and shake my hand, what? Tomorrow there'll be no train to climb aboard. Tomorrow there'll be nothing but the slippers and the pipe and the fire. Not as a reward after a day's run, but for what's left of my life. Sleep late every morning. Go fishing every day. <sighs> Who wants pleasure all the time? <sighs> Never to ride old 97 again. Never to have a job to do. Never to be needed. They call it retirement. I think it's death. I wish we'd never get to Danville.
3: Made up twenty minutes so far, Tom.
2: So, I knew you would.
3: It's as one great engine, Tom. Look at that, eighty-five miles an hour, and she isn't half out.
4: You're going through Lynchburg this fast.
3: I'll slow her. I don't want to scare the folks. You'll spoil all the milk for five miles around town, you barrel through here at 85. Uh-huh. We'll slow her to 70 then, huh, Tom? <laughs>
4: yes, I guess that'll be real considered, Mr. Brody.
8: It's
4: a long, tough road from Lynchburg to Danville and it's down a three-mile grade. It was down that grade that he lost his air brakes. You can see what a jump he made. Now, I want
3: to point out a few things to you. Joseph A. Brody was the best engineer on the line. He knew that road like his own hand. The fast mail, old 97, was a cracked train, not old at all. In perfect condition, carefully checked always, mechanically perfect in every way, yet, it had a wreck. And here's why my dad's story makes some sense. Here's what must have happened. Now, remember, the two killers were hanging on right behind the locomotive. a boy, Tom. We're only eight minutes behind time now. hoo You sure make this old 97 cakewalk, Mr. Brody. You done made up 52 minutes already. We better start slowing for the trestle. We'll take off the eight minutes when we've crossed it.
2: Clint! Clint, he's slowing down. Yeah, I feel it. I wonder why. 97 doesn't stop between Monroe and Danville, except for emergencies. Maybe there's an emergency. Yeah, us. We're the emergency. Sheriff Monroe's telephoned ahead. The guess we tipped town down on this train. What are we going to do? We can't jump off. See that hose? Yeah. That's an airline for the brakes. Hold my arm so I don't slip. What are you going to do? Turn that valve, honey boy. Shut off the air brakes. This train ain't stopping this side of Danville. The valve's tight.
7: Gotta get this thing.
2: There it is. That does it, honey boy. He ain't stopping now.
7: Ain't we still going to make too fast, Mr. Brody? Scared, Tom? No, sir, not with you at the throttle. I was just observing, though.
3: Ain't we going to make too fast? We'll slow a bit more, Tom. We can't make that curve at 90. Tom! Yes, sir? The brakes! The brakes don't work. Loud and mighty. Look, all the way back and nothing happens. There's a test
7: Mr. Joe. Jump, Tom, jump.
4: He was coming round the turn doing 90 miles an hour when his whistle began to scream. He was found in the wreck with his hand on the throttle. He was scalded to death by the steam. speak harsh words to your true and loving husband. He may leave you and never return.
3: Now the wrecking crew got there that night, came down from Lynchburg, just like we're doing. They found the old 97, her nose buried in the mud bank.
2: None of them got there,
3: to Danville. You know, I often wondered about the station that night. A strange group of people waiting. The committee from the railroad with Mr. Clover's gold watch. Big Tom's family to greet their youngest son. And a carriage waiting to take Joe Brody to the hospital to see his new baby. Which I understand was a little girl. And maybe, off in a corner few men with guns waiting for the killers.
2: And that's what happened, huh?
3: Well, that's what my dad used to tell me. What time is it? Uh, it's 8.20. We'll have breakfast in Danville. Oh, there you are. See, down there? That's Cherrystone Creek. You see that old mud bank? That's where Joe Brody wrecked the old ninety-seven.
1: Suspense, presented by Autolite, tonight's star, Mr. Frank Lovejoy. Suspense is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. The soloist was Harry Stanton. The Wreck of the Old 97 was written for Suspense by Mindret Lord and Christopher Anthony. Featured in the cast were Herb Butterfield, Clayton Post, Eddie Firestone, Junius Matthews, Jack Crucian, Roy Glenn, and Joseph Kearns. Frank Lovejoy can be seen starring in the Milton Sperling production for Warner Brothers, Retreat Hell. And remember, next week on Suspense, Mr. Robert Young in Backfire. This is the CBS Radio Network.
0: just listened to The Wreck of the Old 97, from Suspense, as originally aired on March 10th, 1952. Our next episode is from Quiet Please, a story named It Is Later Than You Think. This story deals with the possibility of time travel and how one draftee attempts to change his fate, only to find that he is not truly in control after all. In the years after World War I, stories of the global conflict were popular fare for readers, moviegoers, and radio audiences. For programs like Quiet Please, fictional tales that added a mystical or paranormal element to war stories were common. Many of the listeners were veterans of their families, and while earnest historical tellings of the war's events might be too severe for mainstream appeal, these more light-hearted stories were some of the most well-received episodes of network radio at the time. And now, it is later than you think, as heard on Quiet Please in August of 1948. Quiet Please?
9: Quiet, please.
7: The Mutual Broadcasting System
9: presents Quiet, Please which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called It Is
5: Later Than You Think.
7: And so I venture to say that the Germans and the Japs are trembling in their boots at this moment for the word that Lindsay Bradley is on their trail. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, our loss is Uncle Sam's game. Your fellow employees wish you success, adventure, and a bushel of medals. And in token of our high esteem for you, in remembrance of the happy hours we have spent with you in the plant, for we are all one big happy family, I present you with this 17-jewel solid gold imported wristwatch. May it ever remind you of your good friends here at this arsenal of democracy you are leaving to face our enemies in person. Speech! Well, uh, Speech! Well,
9: all I can say, fellow employees, uh, uh, fellas, uh, and Mr. Troop, all I can say is, uh, I, I thank you. Uh.
10: a beautiful watch, Lindsay, but for heaven's sake, this is your last night before you go to camp, and I do wish you could pay a little attention to me.
9: Oh, uh, Vernon, I'm sorry, I, I never had such a nice watch, though, and I, I get carried away. I'm sorry, honey, really.
10: Well, for goodness' sake, act like it, then.
9: Huh? Act like what?
10: Act like you're sorry. Kiss me.
9: Oh. (laughs) I should say so.
10: Uh, I am going to miss you, Lindsay.
9: Oh, heck, it isn't as if I was going overseas right away, honey. Oh, my goodness, I'll probably be in the camp for quite a while, learning things. Uh, heck, you could come and see me often.
10: Maybe I could get an apartment in the town where the camp is, and the sergeants or whoever it is would let you live at home and just go to the camp, please.
9: Well, uh, I don't know about that.
10: It'd be wonderful, Lindsay. Uh, you could come home for meals, and you could have uh kernels in for dinner. It would be just like home
8: uh-huh.
10: First thing you do when you get to camp is find a nice apartment about four rooms uh maybe five, and i'll come uh, right away huh uh,
9: well I- I'll see honey.
10: You don't seem to be very excited about it. Well,
9: I don't know how it'll be at camp. You know, I, I might not be able to find an apartment, and, and maybe I wouldn't be staying there long. You, you don't
10: want me to be with
9: you. Why, sure I do, Verna, but I...
10: You just want to leave me here all alone in this old place while you go off camping out and being in parades and having a wonderful time? Well,
9: I don't think it'll be like that, Verna. Francis Felton wrote last week from Camp Breckenridge, and he said he'd lost 13 pounds.
10: Well, he could stand it. Goodness, I just bet it's wonderful for the boys in camp, marching and having sham battles, and goodness, I wonder what you'll be doing this time tomorrow.
9: It's 11 hours now, and, and I'll be arriving.
10: What are you doing with that watch?
9: Huh? <laughs> I was just setting it ahead 11 hours.
5: All right. Get your heels together, all of you. Chin in, chest out. You're at attention.
9: My goodness gracious. Quiet. I, uh,
2: but I just... And did... I
9: said Silence. Could I ask a question, Lieutenant? I'm a sergeant. Could I ask a question, Sergeant? Uh, Please? What? Where am I? You crazy, Mac? Oh, gee, uh, honest, sir, I'm not sure.
5: Well, I'll just refresh your memory, bud. You're at Camp Dix, New Jersey. And you're a great, big, ugly, flat-footed private in the infantry, whether you like it or not.
9: Well, for heaven's sake... For heaven's sake, I said. How I got there, I will never know. One, one minute I was sitting on the Davenport with Verner right in my own living room in Highbridge, New Jersey, just for no reason, setting my watch 11 hours ahead, and then, bung! I'm alongside the railroad station in Camp Dixon. It's daylight, and this sergeant... Well, now, uh, things don't happen like that. There's no such thing as magic. But, well, how? Tell me how. All right, you can't tell me, so I'll tell you. i I'll tell you how I found it out. It was an hour later that they let us sit down a few minutes. And there was a man sitting alongside me and he said, I have a good-looking watch, didn't I? So I told him how the boys at the plant gave it to me and he admired it some more. And then he said, did I know my watch was an hour fast? So I said, is that so? And I turned it back and...
5: All right, get your heels together, all of you. Chin in, chest out, you've attention.
9: And I heard myself say, my goodness gracious. Wyatt." quiet. But I just said... And I said silence. Could I ask a question, Lieutenant? I am a sergeant. Could I ask a, a, a question, Sergeant? Please. And by goodness, I went through that whole hour again. And I was so tired and when we got back to the time and the place where the man said I had a good-looking watch. And I looked at that watch. I didn't say anything this time. So time went on the way it ought to go on, and they took us to eat but I, I couldn't eat anything because my stomach was full of great big butterflies. And finally, when I had a minute, I got to a phone booth and I waited 45 minutes and I got a call through to Highbridge to find out what Verna had to say about it and Mrs. Houlihan from next door answered and she said Verna was in bed with a high temperature. And what the dickens did I do to her on my last night at home? So I hung up. Sure. The watch. Whatever I said of that, that's what time it is. Well now, thinks I this could be a very handy thing. And but I have to be careful. Say, where do you suppose they got that watch? It's really. And then I happen to think of something. My gosh, what would happen if that watch ran down someday if I forgot to wind it and it stopped? Wouldn't. Time stop? Wow. Well, I'm I'm not gonna try to find out. Uh, you know, this sergeant, he wasn't such a bad fellow at that. I was sitting on my bunk one night after supper. There there wasn't anybody else in the barracks and, and he walked in. I said, Hi, Sergeant. Well, what's with you, Bradley? Oh, I'm I'm just tired. Ain't you going to the movies? No, they ran that picture in Highbridge two months ago. Mm, cigarette? Uh, thanks. Are uh, you going?
5: Uh uh-uh. uh. I've been kind of low. Oh, that's so? Yeah. Got a dear John. A which? Letter from my girlfriend. Oh? Hey, you know, dear John, I don't know how to tell you, but I have fallen in love with another guy, and you and I will always be good friends.
9: Oh. Yeah, great. We'll never get married, kid. I... I am married. Oh, excuse me. You happy? Yeah. Well, oh, sure. Sure, yeah, sure, sure. Great. We've been married four years. miss, huh? You bet. Uh, this is a kind of uh, uh vacation, though. <laughs> you know. Uh, she said she might come down here to live, uh near the camp. You like that? Well
5: what your monkeying with that watch.
9: Huh? Uh I was uh, just thinking of an experiment. What kind of experiment? Oh nothing. There's, there's nothing.
5: Uh, Want a beer? Let's
9: walk over to the PX. So, we walked over to the PX, and we had a beer, and then we had another, and, and... Me and my big mouth, beer always makes me talkative. The sergeant noticed I was fiddling with my watch. I couldn't get it off my mind, and finally... And finally, the beer and I told him the story. Of course, he didn't believe it. He laughed a lot. He said I had a great imagination, and... Then after a while, he walked back to the barracks with me, and we sat down in my bunk again, and... Well, the place was still empty, and he was was still laughing about my imagination. (laughs) I got huffy. I told him I'd prove it to him. (laughs)
5: How will you prove it to me?
9: Well, how soon will the movie be out and the fellas come back to the barracks? An hour? Okay. Watch. What are you doing? Setting it ahead an hour.
7: Why don't you guys shut up and uh, go to sleep? Turn it back! Turn it back! Okay, Sergeant. Brother.
9: Yeah. See, it works. They all appeared just out of nothing. That's the way it'll be an hour from now. Oh, gosh. What you can do with that thing? Well, I've been using it. You have? How? I've been setting it ahead every day for a while. What for? See if my wife is going to arrive. Huh? (laughs) Wife? Well, I'd like to have some warning, see? Ah,
5: so you can hit me for a pass.
9: Either that, Sergeant, or so's I can go (laughs) awalk. No, Vern is all right. We get along all right, but... Well, heck, she demands. Uh, I mean, I never got out before I was drafted, and... Well, darn it, I kind of like being my own boss. That is, is, is as far as the Army had let you, you know what I mean? I I love Vern all right, but... I knew what it'd be once she got settled in an apartment here in town. Heck, Highbridge isn't far away. I could get a pass once in a while, but here in town... No, I figured that was too close. Yeah, I feel a lot different about it now, but this was quite a while ago, see, 1944, and... I'd only been away from her a few months. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. So she snuck up on me after all. I forgot one night to set my watch ahead and first thing the next morning I got the word that she was here. So I talked to the sergeant out and talked to her out of a pass. We kidded a little. I, I went to town to meet her. It was, it was kind of nice. But gosh, I couldn't get a word in edgeways.
10: Lindsay. You're so thin.
9: Well, I've been...
10: I know you. You just won't talk up to these sergeants and majors and people. Just let them walk all over you. You wait till I see somebody in authority. Oh, now,
9: Verna, you, you can't... You can't...
10: You've been drinking. I bet you've been drinking. Well, I'll put a stop to that. When we get an apartment here in town, you can have ginger ale at home. And I'll make brownies. And you can have some of the boys over once in a while. Verna. What?
9: Verna... Do you love me?
10: Why, silly child, of course I do. Here, give me a kiss. Now, wipe off that lipstick. Are you going to take me out to the camp? I'm just dying to see it.
9: Well, I thought maybe we'd
10: well, stay in town. Now, Lindsay, I'm not going to sit around in this dismal town all day and all night when there's all sorts of interesting things going on out where you're camping. I came down here to enjoy myself, and that's what we're going to do no matter what you So
9: mean. that's the way it was, yackety-yackety, all the time, and I got awful tired of it all of a sudden. You know, used to be I could kind of shut my ears to the yakity yakity, but I seemed to have lost the trick somehow, and so then I thought, gosh, I'm gonna see how long this is gonna go on. So I turned my back, and I moved the hands of my watch ahead, and I'd got it ten hours ahead, and I, I heard a kind of sigh or something, and I turned around, and you know what? There was this sergeant kissing my wife just as big as you please. I, I grabbed his arm and I tried to yank him away, but it was just like I wasn't there. And Verna spoke to him and it didn't sound like the yakity yakity she used on me.
10: Oh, Sergeant Kilroy, you're so impulsive.
9: And then I remembered that what I was seeing was ten hours away and I, I quick spun the hands on my watch back again and, well, doggone it, I went too far back Wendy,
10: and... you're so
8: thin. And
9: that was where I came in and I had to go through all of it again. Doing a repeat on the kisses wasn't so bad. Till I remembered the way she was going to talk to Sergeant Kilroy about ten hours from now. Well, sir, about five o'clock he showed up and he told me I had to go back to camp. How do you like that? He could stay in town, he said, and he'd be glad to show my wife around and keep her entertained about that was away, my pal. I crossed him up all right. I waited a couple hours after I got back to camp, and then I just set the watch ahead, and it's morning, and the whole company, including Sergeant Kilroy, is turning out for reveling. Well, she stayed there. She got an apartment such as it was. I got a lot of passes. I took the sergeant in with me every once in a while, and everything was as nice as pie. I didn't do much with the watch because I was scared of it. I took awful good care. It was wound all the time. I tried once to see if I could turn it ahead farther than 12 hours, but I couldn't. When the hands got the 12 hours ahead, everything just clicked right back. Well, you see, 12 hours, the hands just come right back to where they were when you started. Anyway, uh, half a day's enough for me. Heck, it's too much. Think it ain't? Yeah, there come a day. There always comes a day. A big bunch of us got pulled out early in the morning with our A and B bags and everything out of the kitchen stove hung onto us. We're off to the races. Only Sergeant Kilroy, he's permanent detail. He stays in camp. Great deal. Well, I'm smart. I get myself lost in the dark, and I beat it for a taxi, and I hauled down to town our apartment. No, Verna doesn't know I'm leaving. I I don't know where I'm going. No, I'm not trying to desert. I want to find out something. I get in the apartment, and Verna doesn't wake up. And she looks awful cute asleep. But I turn the hands on my watch ahead.
7: Three hours.
9: Nothing happened. Except the bed was all of a sudden empty, and I could hear Verna out in the other room, and, of course, it was full daylight now. So I heave a big sigh of relief. <laughs> Everything's all right. And then... Who is it? Who
5: is it? Gilroy's here, darling.
9: <laughs> and I was so mad. I thought, what to do? And then, well, just as Verne unlocked the door... I got it. I set my watch back where it belonged, and it was early dark morning again, and she was asleep there in the bed, smiling, and I got out of the apartment. I'll fix that, I said to myself. I'll beat it back to camp, and I'll knock that Kilroy's head off, and a big MP stepped up in front of me.
7: Hey, take it easy, Mac. Where you going with that equipment? Huh? Uh, Why, I, uh... I mean,
9: uh...
7: I, I missed the train, huh? Oh, you missed the train, huh? Yeah, I... That's fine, Mac. Listen, the train ain't left yet, Mac. Oh? It ain't due to leave for 20 minutes yet, Mac. So I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. Just get in the jeep here with me, Mac. I'll deliver you special. Right to the steps of the car. Okay, Mac?
9: So I started my trip overseas handcuffed to an MP. And there wasn't any kidding about it. I was on that train, but good. And all the jumping up and down in the world wasn't going to do me any good. Because in an hour and a half, I was sitting on a bunk about a foot above sea level in the hold of a great big transport. And the ship was aiming for Africa as fast as they could turn over the propeller. Me and my fancy watch, I wish I'd never seen it. But what can a guy do? I, I throw it away, what'll happen? It'll stop him. Well, all right, maybe time won't stop it. I mean, see what's happened before. yeah, I, I won't take chances. So, well, it turned out it was a good thing I hung on to it. Because I'm in a hole a few weeks later with another guy in a bazooka, and Mr. Ramos' tanks are doing all right, and I'm scared. This fellow, Red Stubbinger, his name was, uh, he's my loader, and... We're popping away at Kraut's whenever we can get a beat on one. And then there's a kind of lull, and we don't see anybody, so we light up a smoke. Red leans his arms up on the edge of the hole and looks out. Uh,
7: looks like they blowed the whistle, Lindsay. Huh? What you mean? I, I don't see anybody in
9: Let me see. <laughs> And that was the end of Red Felbinger. And it was pretty near the end of me, except for the watch. All the German tanks in the world were heading right straight for me and blazing away like the Fourth of July. Only it wasn't no celebration. The air was thick with hunks of iron. I leaned down to pick up my bazooka, and then the thought came to me. I, I reached for my watch. Two hours, I'll set it back, I thought. And I did. And all the tanks and everything disappeared. So I climbed out of the hole and started away from there. And all I remember was, and everything went black and red and green, and then dead. No, uh, not dead, but I got it right through my neck, and they told me in the hospital that the bullet traveled on down my arm and came out right alongside my watch. I was pretty scared about the watch, but the nurse was a nice girl. She laughed, showed me how she'd put it on my other arm, wound it, too, she said. I felt better then I remembered I'd never set it ahead again to where it belonged, and I asked her to set it, and she, she tried. She couldn't. Something had happened to her. And well, look, I won't try to tell you about all the trouble I had with my arm, how I got sent back to the States, spent the next four years in the hospital. Verna? And sure, I saw Verna. I saw her a lot. She used to come and see me all the time. And she was different. It seemed like all I'd been through would, you know, kind of changed her. She, she felt so sorry for me. Gosh, I got to feeling sorry for myself. You know how it is.
8: Well, it
9: was a long time, those years, with all I had to do to my neck and my arm. Once in a while, I'd think about Sergeant Kilroy. But gosh, Verna was so different now. I knew everything was okay, so I forgot it. The Funny thing was, though, I couldn't turn the watch up to where it belonged all that time. I tried. The nurses tried. The doctors, I couldn't do it. There was no soap. And all this time, I got nervous and irritable. I used to have, uh, you know, delusions. Uh, one day last month, it was the first day I had my artificial arm. I woke up kind of dopey. I, I thought i seen somebody leaving my room at Walter Reed. I, I sort of heard the nurse talking to a guy in civilian clothes that looked kind of familiar. And I thought I heard him answer her. Just him, Kilroy was here. Well, I was going to tell Vern,a but new arm and everything, I forgot. So I didn't get out last week. It was kind of fun. I went back to Highbridge. Vern,a fixed up her old place swell, and, and she was special, nice to me. I pretty near felt I could afford to lose that arm to make that difference in Vern,a. She was all right. Only she kept kidding me about the way I fiddled with my watch. I I couldn't tell her I was trying to get it set back to where it belonged. There was two hours worth of difference in that watch. I guess I got into the habit when I felt so lousy, always fiddling at it. You know that. There's somebody at the door. time downtown getting her hair fixed. I wonder who it is. Yes? Hi, Lindsey. Kilroy. Mind if I come in a minute, kid? Why, sure, uh, sure, Kilroy. Thank you. Uh, glad to see you. <laughs> uh, gee, Fern'll be glad to see you too. <laughs> Sit down. Watch it, obliged. Well, I see you still got the trick watch. Uh, yeah, yes, still got it. Uh, how, how you been? What are you fiddling with the watch for, Lindsey? It got stuck. Stuck? Uh, yeah, I keep fooling with it. Well, well uh, tell me where you've been since you got out. I wish you'd stop fooling with that watch. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Hey, by golly, I got it. I got it. I'll just set it ahead two hours to make...
5: Yeah? Verna, it's about time. Where you been? All right, I'll meet you then. What? Good Lord, yes. Certainly I did. How would you like to sit around in a room for two hours with a guy you just shot? Huh?
9: Quiet, please, for tonight was called It Is Later Than You Think. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper, and the man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And Abby Lewis played Vernon. Don Briggs was the sergeant. Miscellaneous voices and colorful characterizations with the creations of one at Latimer. Music for Quiet Please is played by Albert Berman. Now, a word from Willis Cooper. The characters of tonight's stories were all fictional, of course. For next next week, I have a story for you called The Thing on the Portal Board. And so until next week at the same time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chapo. This program was heard in Canada through the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This is the mutual broadcasting system.
0: will wrap up this episode of the twilight beacon featuring two classic adventures in history from the golden age of radio you heard the wreck of the old 97 from the march 10th 1952 airing of suspense and it is later than you think from the august 2nd 1948 episode of quiet please the twilight beacon will return this thursday october 20th with another episode featuring classic radio programs from the golden age of radio until then, this is Jedediah D. Blackwell saying good night, everyone, and good luck getting to sleep.
10: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Twilight Beacon podcast. New episodes are released on thetwilightbeacon.com during the month of October and can be found on your favorite podcast apps and streaming services. The Twilight Beacon podcast is produced and edited by Jason and Jacob Burgess. Music by Alexander Nakarada. Special thanks to the Old Time Radio Researchers Group and OTRR.com. Visit thetwilightbeacon.com for archived episodes and the schedule of upcoming shows. You can follow The Twilight Beacon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest program updates.